Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. We're back, race fans. Welcome to the Motorsport News Podcast for 2024. I'm your host, Will Dale, and here's what's making headlines this week. Brody Kostecki and Erebus, it's been the story of the preseason so far, and we still don't have a resolution. The reigning champion won't be racing at next weekend's Bathurst 500, but is still tied to the team he won the title with, and we'll chat about all that later in the show. The Speed Series got underway for 2024 at Sandown last weekend. In TCR, Benny Barguana won two races and the round to lead the title chase, while in Trans Am, James Moffat got his title defence underway with the round win in what was a pretty bruising encounter. Triple Eight has narrowly missed out on nabbing an invite to race in this year's Le Mans 24-hour. The invite was on offer to the winner of the GT-class title in the Asian Le Mans series, Prince Jeffrey Ibrahim, Jordan Love and Lucas Stoltz swept both races at the season-ending four hours of Abu Dhabi over the weekend but fell just two points short of the crown and the ticket to Lasarth in June. Sticking with GTs, Chaz Mostert is going all Lewis Hamilton and is set to race a Ferrari in this year's GT World Challenge Australia Series. He'll join reigning Pro-Am champ Liam Tolbert in one of the Arise Racing GT team's new Turbo V6 Ferrari 296 GT3 cars. And everyone's favourite XF1 team principal, Gunther Steiner, is the latest big-name signing to appear at next month's Adelaide Motorsport Festival. The breakout star of Drive to Survive joins F1 racer Valtteri Bottas, who's back this year and will drive the first race-winning VK Commodore built by Perkins Engineering. Joining me as always is V8 Sleuth's head of publication, Stefan Bartholomeus, and Steph... We've got a fair bit to get through for episode one in 2024. Hello, Will. It's certainly great to be back. And yeah, it's hard to remember a more newsy start to a motor racing season. There's a lot to get into. Let's talk about something positive to get underway. Steph, who's your first star of the week for 2024? Well, I'm going with Ben Barguana, who, as you covered in the news, won the opening round of TCR Australia at Sandown. And I think he's star worthy, not just for winning but for the excitement and the emotion that he showed in the TV interview post-race. There's obviously some fun parallels there with his dad who used to get really excited about winning as well, but it's just great to see how much a result like that means to a driver. It was it was great stuff. Oh, he went full, full bargs with everything, didn't he? Um, mine also goes to a TCR driver, but it's I've gone with John Martin for my star of the week. Largely because he wasn't actually meant to be a TCR driver when the weekend got underway. I mean, he was only at Sandown to work as a driver coach with Will Harris at Wall Racing. 
until Paul Will had a rib injury flare up and Martin got the call up to drive his Honda on Saturday morning and he didn't have any of his gear at the circuit, so he had to get someone to bring his helmet out. Uh, he had to borrow some of David Wall's gear and, in fact, the race suit that he wore was the same one, a bit of race suit sleuthing to start the year, is the same suit that Giancarlo Fisichella wore when he was meant to drive S5000 at the um, 2020 Australian Grand Prix and we all know how that went. Uh, Johnny Martin ended up eight for the round, including a top five finish in race two. So that's why he's getting my star of the week. Now, as I said at the top of the show, the story that's dominated the 2024 Supercars preseason, it's, it's Brody Kostecki and Erebus Motorsport. They won the 2023 championship together and are going through the messiest of divorces, which means that as we record this, Brody will not be on the grid at next weekend's Bathurst 500 and potentially just on the couch for the remainder of the 2024 season. Now, the short version, if you have missed all of this, is, and I can't can't believe that you could have, uh, is that Brody, for reasons he's yet to publicly explain, wants out. Um, Erebus has not released him. And in the past fortnight, three of the team's biggest sponsors have cut ties over the whole situation. And there's a myriad of rumours doing the rounds that if we were to air them here, well, we'd undoubtedly cop some form of legal letters. Steph, calling this whole deal messy really just underbakes it. What do you make of the whole thing? Well, yes, it's certainly messy and it's an extraordinary saga for so many reasons. We've obviously seen contract disputes before, but they normally come about when a driver has lined up a deal with another team and, and wants to move. And in this case, it does genuinely seem like Brody, first and foremost, doesn't want to race for Erebus and he'd rather sit on the couch for a year than drive. And that's incredibly sad when you think about the fact he's a young guy who's fought so hard to get to where he's got to in his career. He's just won the Supercars Championship, so he should be on top of the world. So all of that raises serious questions about what has gone on behind the scenes here. And there's obviously been a lot said and a lot written about that already, about friction between Brody and the team management in the back end of last year. But um, who knows if we ever actually hear what really went on from the parties themselves. Caught in the middle of all of this has been supercars. I mean, this situation is a bit different to a player dispute in any other code where there are player unions or direct contracts between the player and the main body. Now, supercars has publicly made just two statements on it so far, and personally, I don't think either of them landed particularly well at all. Steph, what do you make of their reaction in the wake of all of this? Yeah, there's been a lot of commentary about the supercars' involvement and, look, they definitely made a mistake when they organised to release their initial statement in coordination with Erebus. That was Mm -hmm. a bad look. And whether it was intentional or not, that wording in the statement around Brody's welfare did put the mental health question on the table and, and that was uncomfortable considering the word around the place and what Roland Dane later went public with on Speak FA is that it's essentially a workplace issue. So you hear that stuff and you think, why wasn't supercars out in front of this? You know, shouldn't they be launching an inquiry into what's going on with the leadership and the culture of this race team? It's it's hard to believe that supercars let it get this out of control. But at the same time, there's just so much about this that we don't know. And unless Brody has lodged an official complaint about his workplace with supercars or Motorsport Australia or Fair Work, supercars may be a bit limited in what it can do there. So all we really know is Brody doesn't want to drive for Erebus and Erebus hasn't released him from his contract beyond an exemption for the first round. 
and we've been in that holding pattern for a couple of weeks now. And through all of that, like Brody hasn't really been cited too much since all this broke. And aside from petting a cat on ex-teammate Will Brown's Instagram stories, and no, that's not a euphemism. Uh, but he did make his first public appearance at the Motorsport Australia Awards Gala on Sunday night, where he collected both the Australian Touring Car Championship trophy and the Peter Brock medal. Uh, he read from a pre-prepared speech in accepting both of those awards, and given everything that's going on, choosing your words in advance is a great idea. Uh, and here's a very carefully worded snippet of what he had to say. To say that 2023 was an, an interesting year uh, would be an understatement. We had a brand new Gen 3 car to work with, uh, and I lived and breathed in an effort to understand what made it work um, and how we could make ours faster than anyone else. In the end, the hard work and more and more than a decade of personal commitment to learning my craft paid off, and I came away with a driver's championship. And also to um, you know my great teammate as well, uh, from last year, Will Brown, also helped you know contribute um, to a team championship as well, which was um, you know just to top it all off. It is great to uh, share this trophy with all the mechanics and crew and all the hardworking members of our team at the track and, and back at the shop. In more recent weeks, it's uh, no secret I've come to crossroads with my 2023 Supercars team and, on, and ongoing discussions mean that I cannot say more on that matter at this time. And I thank you for my, and, and I thank you for uh, your, your appreciation. What I can say that is, is that I've been overwhelmed by the support from some quality individuals in the industry who have offered their unwavering support and advice. I also have to say a massive thank you uh, to the thousands of fans that have reached out to me um, from both sides, even teams I've um, you know, competed with. And it's, you know, it's, it's honestly quite funny. You get some FBU messages above them and then you know, they are, you know, <laughs> you know, make sure I'm okay. So it's, you know, it's quite funny, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's honestly uh, been overwhelming. Now, you'll notice he didn't say the word Erebus there, and he also said he's, quote, in generally good health and has a long-term commitment to Australian motorsport. Steph, we're in this middle of this weird stalemate, but at some point, this will have to be resolved in some way, shape or form where Brody doesn't put his backside in an Erebus car ever again. So where to next for our reigning champ? Well, I think firstly there, like, what a quality speech from Brody. You were in the room at the awards mm. night, but... You know, what he says and does right now will no doubt stick to him for his whole career, and he's certainly publicly handling it really well. So you, you've asked the big question, though. I mean, when and how does this thing get resolved? Erebus has been really vocal in the past about not holding back drivers if they want to go somewhere else, and we've seen it time and again over the years, but this is clearly being treated very differently, and the week that the story broke, like the parties were in some form of mediation and we're a couple of weeks down the track and there's no sign of a resolution and Erebus is playing along, fulfilling its end of the contract as if he's just missing one race. Like you go back to that statement that Erebus put out saying Brody is still part of the team. Like that was hugely misleading to anyone who didn't understand the actual situation, but it's just a legal game at that point. And we all know that he's not driving for Erebus again, but how and when this stalemate gets unlocked, we're just going to have to wait and see. I still find it hard to imagine that Brody will be living in a cage for 12 months. Like I'd say mm. there'd be a few rival teams willing to write a check to get him out of it uh, before too long. 
The other side of the coin here is, of course, that Todd Hazelwood has been parachuted into the championship winning entry for the Bathurst 500. It's a brand new car and it had number one on it at the test day at Winton last week, but it definitely won't have that on it at Mount Panorama. Steph, the team's rebuilt itself twice before, but honestly, where do you see Erebus going next from here? Well, yeah, Todd is the only real winner in this whole deal or could be a winner from it anyway. And I think you look at it, despite what has gone on with Brody and, and the sponsors heading for the exit, which has all been very dramatic, like the bulk of the team that won last year's championship is still there. So there's a lot of people putting a line through Erebus at the moment saying they've imploded and they won't be competitive, but they've got all those key ingredients that won them a championship other than the two absolute A-grade drivers that they've, they've clearly lost. So it's on Todd and, and probably even more so Jack LeBrock to step up and prove some people wrong and, and also on the team to, to get the best out of these two drivers. Australia's International Enduro is back this weekend at Mount Panorama, the Repco Bathurst 12-hour, and feels a bit weird that we're going there a fortnight later than normal, but better late than never. Uh, a lot of the big guns we're accustomed to will be there. Triple Eight's factory-supported Mercedes-AMGs, the Grouper M car that came so close to winning last year's race, the Manti Porsche with our own Matt Campbell aboard, a pair of factory BMWs, one of which, of course, has MotoGP legend Valentino Rossi aboard it, Melbourne Performance Centre's usual fleet of Audis, and, of course, Conrad Strait resident himself, King Kenny, reigning winner Kenny Habul and GT superstar Jules Gounon who's gunning for a fourth straight 12-hour win alongside fellow 2023 winner Lucas Stoltz. Steph, what are you looking forward to from this weekend? Well, I think the big story, again, really is Valentino. You know, his presence was huge for the race last year. It really took it to a new level in terms of interest, and it was just amazing to see all the Rossi merch getting around and the way he engaged with the people and the event. It was it was just fantastic. So, he was good on the track as well. Like, let's not uh, skip past that. Like, his best lap in the race was within a second of the best that his car did. So, really, he did more than enough to keep it in contention, and he'll be going back hoping to win the race. Last year, we saw Kenny Habul win it essentially in a Pro-Am lineup that was entered in the Pro class to avoid that minimum driver time rule that the AMs have. So, I think for me, the other big storyline is whether that Sun Energy team can make that work again or if it's actually too hard to make up the ground that they inevitably lose with Kenny in the car. It'll be fascinating to see how the BMWs approach this year's race because they were quick in the lead up. They were there, maybe not in the ultimate pace of the Mercedes AMGs, but they weren't far off it. Uh, But as soon as the track got hot and the conditions got hot, they just faded from contention. So what they can do as the only the only turbo cars among that sort of leading contending group. It'll be fascinating given we're probably forecast to have high 20s weather once again at Mount Panorama next weekend, at least that's what the long-range forecast suggests, whether the BMWs can genuinely be in the fight on speed. Uh, one of the other things I'm looking forward to this weekend is actually not an on-track thing. Well, it is an on-track thing, but it's not part of the, the actual race itself. It's this Ford Supervan the um, all-electric thing that Ford took to Pikes Peak and um, finished second outright. And when I say super van, it is actually a van. It, it looks like a van. It's built from a genuine, um, a genuine Ford e-transit van, or at least parts of it. It started out as one. So um, I'm really excited to see how fast that thing's going to be because the suggestions are 
could be quicker than the GT3 cars around the mountain. You uh, wrote a great feature about the Supervan in the uh, Bathurst 12-hour program that's available on the V8 Sleuth website. And no matter how fast it goes or doesn't go, as long as they have a crack, that's the main thing. Unlike that Red Bull F1 car last year that uh, oh, was, was there to do some little donuts instead. Such a letdown. It was. Such a letdown. Um, just looking back to the race itself, the entry list, look, it's true, it's taken a couple of blows from shipping dramas over the last couple of weeks. We lost the Hub Auto Porsche that was meant to have Kevin Estry among its driving roster as it sadly is currently stuck on a ship somewhere in the Indian or Southern Oceans. Uh, Garage 59's McLaren entry didn't even get that far. It bit the dust for similar reasons. Uh, While the Grove family's traditional entry is also missing from this year's grid because they've shifted their GT program to a Mercedes this year and ran out of time to be ready for Bathurst after doing a couple of races in the Middle East last month. Uh, But I don't think moving the race a fortnight was going to be an immediate silver bullet in terms of getting back to, I guess, the sort of glory days of 40-plus GT cars on the grid. But there are a couple of manufacturers in Ford and Chevrolet that have new GT3 cars that we can, fingers crossed, Steph, look forward to seeing on the mountain in 2025. Yeah, I think that's exciting for the future of the race because you look at this year and the overall entry is is pretty strong. Like there's all the ingredients there for it to be a good race, but it's really a German motor show. Like it's still lacking that variety that it had five or so years back. So we'll uh, we'll see. Like there's there's always the question of, of balance of performance and how that shakes out in terms of how competitive all the manufacturers are. And we won't really know who's genuinely fast until they get into the race. And then another thing to look out for this year is the new full course yellow system and how they deploy Mm. that versus a full safety car. And that's one thing that could hurt the Sun Energy strategy and also the Audi guys who are running some AMs in their pro-class cars if they don't get a full safety car period to catch up and and they use that full-course yellow instead. It will be a fascinating preview to, of course, the full-course yellow being implemented in supercars this year. So it'll be nice to get our heads around that before that championship starts as well. Overseas now, and we're not too far away from F1 cars hitting the track for the first time in anger in 2024 with pre-season testing just a couple of weeks away in Bahrain. And you might have spotted on KO that it's going to be shown live in Australia once again. But even before we've got 2024 underway, we're already looking forward to 2025 because that is when Lewis Hamilton is going to be making his big move to Maranello. It's the biggest news of the F1 off-season that old seven-time is going to be leaving his long-term home at Mercedes to race for Ferrari. And he's certainly not the first big-name driver to chase the big-time prestige and, let's be honest, the big-dollar paycheck to race for the prancing horse. But, Steph, the Italian dream hasn't exactly worked out for everyone. No, it hasn't. And I guess there's, there's some recent examples of Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel both spending a chunk of really their prime years at Ferrari without winning a championship but I just sort of with Lewis there's all this talk about whether he's going there for the prestige and the emotion or for the money or whether he thinks Ferrari will be the best team in those years from 2025 but really there's there's just no downside for him at this point of his career in doing this deal like when your worst case scenario is retiring as a seven-time world champion loaded to the teeth and like a lifetime Ferrari ambassador like just why wouldn't you do it? I think my favourite part of all of this, since we we really are going to have to wait 12 months to see him behind the wheel of a Ferrari, I've loved all the memes that have popped up on social media in the wake of all this. I think I saw one 
that had um, a, it was a weird remix of Carlos Sainz being portrayed by one of those little pop vinyl figures, but all the audio was from that scene in the movie Mean Girls where Regina George throws a massive tantrum and writes in the burn book. Anyway, if you've seen it, you'll understand. It's good fun. But to be honest, the best thing I've seen is actually this neat little theory from veteran F1 snapper Mark Sutton who posted to his own Instagram page a couple of weeks ago when all this happened. So he reckons the deal was done back at the Las Vegas Grand Prix, in particular on the Friday. That's the day that Ferrari chairman John Elkan was at the track, but the smoking gun that Sutton points out Lewis walked into the paddock wearing a Bottega Veneta outfit straight from its summer 2024 collection at the Milan Fashion Week, albeit this one was custom-made with vegan leather because it's Lewis, Uh, and it was all in a bright shade of Ferrari red. Now, I'm with Mark. I'd love to think that this was Lewis subtly signalling what was to come. Uh, One thing that is still to come, though, Steph, is exactly where Carlos Sainz will land and also who will get that Mercedes seat alongside George Russell Who's your money on for both of those? Hang on a second while I just catch up. My my brain's uh, trying to process some of those <laughs> things that you just said, to be fair. I reckon we could do a whole podcast on reading into Lewis Hamilton's fashion choices, but it's probably best that uh, best that we don't. I think um, <laughs> from here for sure, like his move to Ferrari has obviously kicked off a pretty interesting, silly season for F1, like really early. There's a whole year to go. Um, a lot of the F1 media at the moment are reporting that Kimi Antonelli, who's a 17-year-old Italian who will race in F2 this year, that he's plan A for Mercedes, which would be an interesting choice. Like That would be trying to breed their own Max Verstappen, basically. And with the simulators and everything these days, all the tools that they have to, to develop drivers, who knows, he might be ready in time for 2025 i see fernando alonso has publicly thrown himself into the mix as well for for the lewis mercedes <laughs> seat which uh, you could of see that coming is. from a mile away yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and lastly nascar is about to get its season proper underway with speed weeks at daytona which means shane van gisbergen is about to begin his u.s adventure with his super speedway debut in the arca and xfinity races It'll be a real baptism of fire for SVG. His first proper runs in a stock car at Daytona came earlier this year during ARCA Series testing. And here's a little bit of what he had to say about the experience recently. Been there in a GT car, but never sort of entered the banking corners flat. And thing the sim doesn't prepare you for is like the negative G into the banking. That was a pretty cool feeling. But yeah, driving by itself was okay, but I haven't really done much pack stuff yet. So watching those races and studying, it looks nuts. So yeah, not sure what it's going to be like in the middle of a pack like that. But yeah, that kind of racing is probably the most far removed from anything I've ever done, but looking forward to it. That audio there from Motorscape TV. Now, apart from wondering how he'll go, the big question is whether we'll be able to watch it or not. And you'll notice that neither the Xfinity nor the ARCA races have popped up on KO as yet. Uh, And given KO and Fox Sports are NASCAR's broadcast partner in Australia, we've reached out to them. So keep your eyes on v8sleuth.com.au. We'll have the answer there when we get it. But one thing you definitely can watch on streaming services is the new doco series, NASCAR Full Speed. Now, I don't have Netflix anymore, unfortunately, and have been furiously searching for a free trial with no luck whatsoever. But Steph, you've had a watch. Where does it rank alongside the absolute peak of fly-in-the-wall motorsport documentary making in the pits? (laughs) Well, it's uh, it's hard to beat a documentary that has Larry Perkins and Richard Mork in it. Let's uh, <laughs> let's say that. But you, you do need to watch NASCAR Full Speed. 
obviously everyone is comparing it to Drive to Survive and, and what that did for Formula One. And we'll see whether this can lift NASCAR in anything like the way that that did for F1. But this this is beautifully made, as you'd expect. And in many ways, it feels more genuine than Drive to Survive. They don't seem to have to work as hard to manufacture that drama in the NASCAR version. I mean, like they've literally got footage of drivers punching each other in the head. So there's there's plenty to work with. <laughs> uh, NASCAR, you've got to love it. Uh, all this reminds me, though, it's been a while since we had a Supercars doco series. I think that was the Triple Eight one a couple of years ago. Wasn't there meant to be one in the works? I mean, what, what's happened there? Yeah, there was some filming done at Bathurst in 2022 and and a pilot was made. It was all done by a firm called Dreamcatcher, which is an independent production house. So quite different to that Inside Line series that we'd seen before that were largely done by motorsport people. I think Supercars quite liked what was, what was made, that pilot, but it hasn't gone any further and obviously it requires a huge investment and Supercars just had other priorities for, for spending money, but I'd love to see them revisit it. It's, it's quite unknown whether the benefit would be worth the spend. I'm not sure on that because at the moment, as we know, like the drivers are just too scared that anything they say or do will have negative consequences. That's sort of the, the culture of the supercars paddock at the moment, whereas in NASCAR, like Denny Hamlin is the absolute star of that, that show because he's comfortable to really lean into being the villain. It is a shame if there's no filming occurring at the moment because... No shortage of storylines thrown up by the 2024 off-season. Now, that's all for the Motorsport News podcast for today anyway, because we'll be back tomorrow with a chat with David Reynolds, who's about to suit up for his first event as a factory Mercedes-AMG driver at the Bathurst 12-hour. And then we'll be back next week to wrap all the action from Mount Panorama, preview the Supercars Championship, as well as opening up the Motorsport News mailbag. Until then, for Stefan Bartholomeus, I'm Will Dale, and we'll catch you next time on the Motorsport News Podcast. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.